And again, it's great to be with you tonight. Thank you for being here. By the way, about Brother Fiavai's story about this, it's way more interesting than what actually happened, and so I think I'm just going to stick with that. And uh, just appreciate appreciate your patience and your and your prayer and your encouragement and all of that. All right, uh, Luke chapter three. We're only going to read um, uh, ver- the first three verses. And it's actually, we're just focusing on verse 1 and verse 2 tonight, and then we'll, the Lord willing, we'll get into verse uh, 3 and on um, in the coming Sunday evenings. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Eturia and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness, and he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, let me ask you for some patience. You read a statement like verse number three, and your thinking can get really way off course if you're not careful. So don't jump to a bunch of conclusions. If you're already settled on it, praise the Lord, you know what it means. But just be patient as we get to that, because it does mean something, and it's there on purpose, and we don't need to be afraid of it. We just don't need to get off into a ditch about those kinds of statements and those kinds of things and understand them in their context. But I love this. It gives a list of leaders, and then it says this, the word of God came. And so the the title is very simply this, the divine work happens. In difficult days. The divine work happens in difficult days. Father, it's already been good to be together. Uh, Moments and events, services like this are good and good for us and good to us. Thank you for allowing us to share in them. And now I pray, Father, that you would bless the time to teach and preach the word of God and that it would be helpful in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Chapter 1 and 2 record the births of both John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. John being the forerunner of the Messiah and Jesus being the Messiah. Between chapter 2, where Jesus, with the the narrative ends, with Jesus being 12 years old, and chapter 3, approximately 18 years have passed. The last we heard of John was in chapter 1, and it's just the events surrounding his birth and the unbelief of his father, and then how he lost his speech, and then that speech was restored when he agreed with the will of God to name him John, and then how that he was in the wilderness until his appearing unto the nation of Israel. Now as the two cousins, the forerunner and the Messiah, prepare to come onto the scene they, they're, excuse me, 
they're surrounded by some very difficult circumstances. Luke, being the thorough physician and historian that he was, he wants to make sure to establish the political and the religious climate into which these men entered. Uh, the historical references also help to establish approximately when Jesus ministered and when he came. And so there, there can be certainty about when he was on the earth. Now, there are two groups in our text that are mentioned, and we're going we're gonna to spend much of the time tonight just identifying who they are, and then we'll make the application. So the groups could be divided up into two categories. You have a political group, and you have a religious group. You have a group of political leaders, and then you have a group of religious leaders. The first group that's mentioned is the political. The first individual that we see in verse number one is Tiberius Caesar. He was the predecessor to Rome's first emperor, Caesar Augustus, and we read about him in chapter 2. Tiberius, our view of him would be that of a supreme king. He was the supreme ruler in Rome, and because of the extent of Rome's reach, he was a supreme ruler in much of the known world at that time. Tiberius Caesar, just like Caesar Augustus declared that all the world should be taxed, then Tiberius Caesar had that same authority, he had, he had the same ability to make decrees and to declare that things would be, and his word and his rule were the final in the land. Next, we're introduced to Pontius Pilate, whereas Tiberius would be the man that would be in Rome, in the capital, and he would be providing the oversight for the entire empire Pontius Pilate was more of a local magistrate or authority. He was appointed the fifth governor of Judea. Now, this is getting a little bit into the weeds, but if you'll remember, and I'll reference him again in a little bit, but you go back to Matthew and you read about Herod the Great. Well, Herod had three sons, and they ended up taking portions of Herod the Great's um, governorship. Well, one of Herod's sons was so inept, none of them were good, but one of them was so inept that Pontius Pilate was appointed by the Roman government to rule, and he was the fifth of these appointees. Pontius Pilate had a reputation for being weak, vacillating, insensitive, and brutal. And if you'll think ahead just a few years in the narrative of the gospel, all of those things would have been on display at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Pontius Pilate would eventually be deposed because of his cruelty and because of his own ineptitude. Then we're introduced to two of Herod's sons, Herod the Great, being Herod and Philip, two of the sons of Herod the Great, who himself was notorious, and if you'll remember, Back in the account of Matthew, when the wise men come to find Jesus, Jesus would have been a toddler or around that at the time, that Herod is threatened by the existence of another king, and he's angry about his existence, so he pretends to have a desire to go and worship Jesus like the wise men are doing, but instead he's simply trying to use them as a means to find him so that he might destroy them. He didn't view Jesus as what he was 
the savior of the world. He viewed him as a threat to his own personal power. And unfortunately, that's how many people view Jesus Christ today. Not as the redeemer to save them, but as a threat to the way they want to live their lives. And it was the father of Herod and Philip, Herod the Great, it was their father who ordered the slaughter of all children to and under back in the book of Matthew. So that kind of cruelty influenced the way in which Herod and Philip ruled themselves. And they would both be significant specifically in the life and ministry of John the Baptist. It's this Herod who we'll read about later who had an illicit relationship with his brother's wife. It's this Herod that was confronted with his sin by John and this same Herod that would throw John into prison and eventually have him executed at the behest of his mistress. And so we're, we're giving just a few details to illustrate the character of the people that are in power. The last person that's mentioned is this, Lysanias. Little is known other than that he ruled on a local level. So the scene, the political scene into which John, into which Jesus come onto the scene is not one of great stability and not one where you would say, man, I'm really excited that those people are in charge. Okay, you don't seem convinced. So let me remind you of who's in charge. Number one, there's a guy that's in charge hundreds and hundreds of miles away, and whatever he says about your life goes. Now, now I understand there were different levels of representation there to balance that, but you know from studying Roman history that once they decided to decree something, that they would basically overrule any other kind of influence unless that influence proved to be more powerful than and they would just start making declarations about people's lives, and there was no recourse that you could go to. If they decided you should die, you should die. If they decided that a thing should be a certain way, then that thing would be that way. And these were not men who loved God. No, they weren't all brutal and unjust. But they were subject to the influence of pagan idolatry that influences the decisions that a person makes. These were not men that you want making decisions about your daily life. And yet that's the kind of power that they had. Then you have someone like Pontius Pilate. Okay, here's who you want to be your local leader. I find no fault with him, but go ahead and do with him whatever you want. No, that's who's in charge. Pontius Pilate. There are other stories about him that are recorded in secular history that are not recorded in the biblical narrative but they speak to his cruelty and how he could waffle from one position to another. And he was not guided by principle. He was only guided by his own perverted sense of what was best for him and in moments of great passion and rage of what he wanted to do. But he's not the kind of man that you want making decisions for your family, that you want making decisions that have an influence on your day-to-day -day living. And yet the same man who admitted before all, this man has done nothing worthy of death, that same man then allowed that man to be executed. 
one of the most unjust ways. You say, well, that was God's redemptive plan. Right, but Pontius Pilate was still a dirtbag. Then you have Herod and Philip. This is the whole Negro up in. All right, I'm threatened by the existence of another king. Go kill all the babies. This isn't some kind of fairy tale, and I'm not trying to not trying to be overly dramatic, but there literally was a ruler who sanctioned the murder in the Bible of of children two years old and younger simply to wipe out someone that he perceived to be a threat. And now his two sons are ruling, and this is their relationship. One of them is taking the other's wife and then throwing a guy into prison because he has a different opinion about what is right and acceptable than they do. And then because of that, again, I want to be careful, but because of that mistress's daughter dancing for him, he then agrees to chop off that guy's head. You say, where did you get that from? It's in the Bible. And that's the guy. Those are the guys making decisions that affect individual believers' lives on a day-to-day basis. You have Lysian, or Lysanius, and maybe the saving graces, we don't know anything about him, or we know very little, and maybe that's because he was one of the good guys. I don't know. But these are the political leaders when the ministries of John and Jesus began. These are the political leaders that are in place. You're like, okay, it wasn't good politically, but it mentioned Annas and Caiaphas. So, I mean, even though the political leaders weren't good, surely the religious leaders provided some reprieve. (laughs) I'm glad you asked. Under Roman rule, the high priests were appointed. Caiaphas was the son-in-law to Annas. And so Caiaphas was the acting high priest from Rome's perspective. But from the Jewish perspective, Annas was still the most powerful and influential figure in the Jewish religious scene. Whatever the Roman technicalities were, Annas had the real power in the day-to-day function of the religious Jewish system. Here are the characteristics. Number one, Annas... Caiaphas as well, and those who were a part of this system at that time. And this is borne out in the biblical narrative. Annas was known for his greed. And there are two specific ways that, it, that are proven in Scripture. Number one, Annas would take a cut of all of the animals that were sold in the temple for sacrifice. So people would come to offer sacrifice to the Lord. A goat, a lamb, a turtle dove, whatever it would be there would be an extra amount that would be charged to ensure that Annas would get the amount of money that he wanted. But then here's how he ensured that he was always getting a lot of money. Animals were only allowed to be sacrificed at the temple if they were purchased at the temple. So the system was set up to guarantee that Annas was always going to be lining his pockets with the money of people that were traveling long distances in order to worship and honor God. 
That's not a condemnation of the individual citizens trying to worship God. That's a condemnation of the leadership that John refers to here in this chapter and that Jesus refers to later as vipers. And that's exactly what they were. They were snakes that were using the worship of God to enrich themselves. No, look, it's right. The Bible has, says something about this, Old Testament and New Testament. It's right for those who minister the word to live of the word. But it is a completely different thing for those who minister of the word to then manipulate that process in order to enrich themselves to the point of taking advantage of God's people and the systems that God has put in place. And that kind of manipulation that kind of selfishness took place in the Old Testament with Eli's sons. And that kind of manipulation took place in the New Testament with Annas and Caiaphas. And it can even take place in the churches of God. And it has no place among the service of God. But that's what they did. That's not the only thing. There were also temple fees and taxes. The temple would only receive as payment for those fees Jewish currency. Their money changers that you read about in scripture would then charge extra to change money from whatever currency the individual had to Jewish currency. And guess where that extra went? Annas and Caiaphas. So of the many things that the Roman leaders were known for, oppression and greed, the Jewish, the Jewish religious leaders were known for them as well. Oppression and greed. They corrupted God's ordained system of religious authority, and they perverted the laws of God. Let me give you a quote. These two wretched individuals were as greedy and corrupt as the pagan rulers they despised. The epitome of their wickedness came during the mock trial of Jesus in which they played the leading roles. And just like we criticize Pontius Pilate for his part a few years later, we can also criticize Annas and Caiaphas for criticizing the very Messiah that came first to the Jews. And yet they set up a mock trial that violated, and we'll deal with it when we get to it, but it violated every Jewish law having to do with trials at that time just so they could expedite the execution of someone they didn't like in Jesus Christ because he was undermining their power. So here's the summary. We have at this moment John and Jesus coming onto the scene. And, and you're going to have to forgive me. I haven't developed this as much, but I'll mention it here. John coming on the scene to preach after 400 years of prophetic silence. So the Messiah was promised in Malachi 3.1 and 4.2. After the prophecies that took place at the end of the Old Testament, 400 years of prophetic silence. Hey, a Messiah is going to come. And then are you ready? Crickets. No, 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 no. Not just, okay, you may have to wait a couple of weeks. 400 years. And then by the time he comes onto the, the scene, there are both political 
and religious leaders in power who have no concern for the welfare of individuals, they are only concerned for enriching themselves. So here's a, here's a statement, a quote, as the curtain rises on the ministries of John and Jesus, Israel was shrouded in deep darkness. Here's the, here's, here's the, here's the difficulty of their day. And I'm not, I'm not going to be much longer, so stay with me. I know there's weariness, but please try to stir yourself and stay with me. Here's how we can describe the difficulty. There was difficulty in the delay. They had been waiting for a Messiah for 400 years. You know what you call that? A delay. We hate waiting. We hate, mm, just be honest, we hate delays. Even when there's a good reason for the delay, we hate having to be told, no, I need you to wait. We hate having to be told it's not going to happen when you want it to happen. We hate delays when it comes to our order, when it comes to the arrival of a product, when it comes to a promotion, when it comes to a work or order being filled, when it comes to an appointment. We hate delays. But this is what's amazing. The delay did not prevent God from doing the work that he had promised to do. In fact, this is what we know about God's timing. It's always right. It, it, it's just like Mary and Martha. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. But I love this idea. It's stated in a song. Even when we perceive him to be four days late, he's still on time. God may not be doing the work that you need to be done in the timetable that you want it done, but that doesn't mean he's not working. God is active even in the moments when it seems like there is a long delay. Now, let's just be true. Delays can, I'll be honest, delays can be hard. Delays in fulfillment. You know what it's like to have a desire, a prayer request, something you have pled with God for, and to see a long delay in its fulfillment. Maybe praying for a family member that's not saved. Praying for God to give you an opportunity that is long in coming. Praying for God to help you through a process, maybe in your health or in a separation that seems to go on and on and on. And the delays can be difficult, but please understand that the divine hand of God is not limited because there is a delay. In fact, sometimes he is using the delay to position things and to prepare things exactly the way that they need to be. But the delays, let's just be honest, they can be difficult. The delay of God, when is their attitude going to change? The delay of God, when are you going to help my heart stop hurting? The delay of God, when are you going to meet this need? The delay of God, when are you going to give us this opportunity? But when there are delays, please understand, it doesn't mean that God's work has stopped. That his timing is best. Number two... Not only is the difficulty because of del the, the delay, the difficulty is also because of the despicable powers. But here's what we know from this text. The despicable powers were not able to prevent the work of God from taking place. Caesar didn't stop the word of God from coming to John in the wilderness. Oh, no, 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 no. But Herod the Great, he silenced John. Yeah, but the work of God is bigger than any one person. No, Pontius, Jesus was crucified. Yeah, but that was part of God's plan. We have redemption through it. He rose again, and the work continues to go on over and over and over. 
You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that we don't have to deal with despicable political or religious powers today. Just trying to make sure you see it. Now, I'm thankful we don't have to deal with people who overstep their bounds or who do things that they themselves do not, or declare things about us that they themselves do not submit to, and that demonstrate over and over and over again. They have no interest in the welfare of individuals, but they are only concerned with enriching themselves. I'm so thankful that we live in a day where everyone who stands behind a pulpit is obviously doing it for the welfare of people. And is only concerned about loving people and being true to the word of God. I'm thankful that in our day we don't have to deal with despicable leaders. I'm thankful that in our day God's people don't have to deal with despicable people in marriages. Or despicable people in the workplace. Or despicable people in their lives in some form. I'm thankful that you all have it great. And that everyone in your life loves God and loves you. Yeah, that's ridiculous. You know what's true for you? It's what was true for them. In the scenes of your life, there are people, though God cares for them, they live in a despicable way. I'm not sorry for saying it. I'm not trying to offend or hurt anybody. But I watch the way leaders behave themselves, and it's despicable. And, And I'm not... Look, I, and you can find it in every political party that you look at. Leaders make declarations about how an individual who is supposed to live their lives, and then they go out and violate their, those very mandates themselves over and over again. It's despicable. No, it is despicable. You know what else is despicable? When a husband runs off on his wife. When a wife completely neglects their family, and yet we are subject, we can be subject to and harmed by those very things. And you can think, man, I've suffered because of the despicable behavior in my life. Can I encourage you? Just because there is despicable behavior, that doesn't stop God from doing what he's capable of doing. Now look, be honest with me. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Be honest. Be honest. Despicable people can make life hard. Despicable people can make life hard, but they can't stop God from working in your life. And they can't stop you from following God. They can make it hard for you, but they can't stop. God still works. So here's the statement. Difficult settings cannot prevent the divine work. I love this list. It is a list of some unpleasant dudes after a very long delay. Tiberius, Pontius Pilate. Herod, Philip, we don't know much about Lysanias, Annas, Caiaphas, 400 years of silence, and yet here comes the Messiah. Okay, I'm not going to make the same mistake that we made in 2020. 21's got to be way better. No, I'll probably preach a message just on this subject if the Lord allows But when governments begin to overreach, they don't typically stop overreaching. 
Go look at history. Oh, it'll just be this. And then it was something else. Oh, it'll just be this. And then it's, and it just keeps going. I don't know what 2022 holds, but here's what I know, that he's still God. And God's not discouraged. <laughs> Look, I really had a strong impulse to clap right there. That would have hurt. Let me just do this. Maybe y'all can clap with me here. God is still at work. No, yeah, look, I'm not, we're not going to be one of these churches where let's just give the Lord a hand. No, we're not, we're not going to, the Lord doesn't need your hand, hallelujah. But if you are so inclined to say amen and to clap because you're excited about him, go ahead and do it. Because can I tell you, the same God that ruled when George Washington was president is the same God ruling now that President Biden is in office. And our salvation and our hope is not based on a political figure. It's based on an eternal savior. And guess what? He's still saving people. He's still rescuing people. He's still helping hurting people. So you can get all focused on all the things you can't change. Or you can just lock in your focus on Jesus Christ and say, hey, the divine work came onto the scene in the midst of some very difficult circumstances because of delays and because of despicable individuals. But if it happened then, I'm going to assume that it can happen today. Doesn't mean it won't be hard, but God can work. You know what I love? This room is filled with people who are right now, you are living through delays and the consequences of some poor decisions. And you know what's evident by the fact that you're here is that God keeps working. I, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there because I'm a dude. God even works in my life when I'm the one being despicable. He doesn't give up on his people. That's another. Uh, I love it. Praise his name for it. If I had the choir up here behind me, they'd be singing right there. Okay, so last thing. What do you do when facing the difficulty of delay or the despicable? Two things. Number one, be faithful. Be faithful. I don't know what 22 is going to bring. Listen, I... I am not afraid, but I am genuinely concerned. Things are moving in directions that are not good for day-to-day -day living. I'm not afraid, but I am concerned for people's lives. So what do you do? Be faithful. Do what you know you're supposed to do today. Hey, moms and dads, children have been raised in far more difficult circumstances than what we're dealing with right now. We w I do not want to hear anyone the age 40 or over saying, I just don't know how we can raise kids in these days. The same way they've done in every other generation, by the grace of God. It's okay. Is it going to be hard? Yeah, but guess what? Raising kids for Jesus has never been easy. Ask Adam and Eve. I'm not trying to be silly. It's never been easy under the curse of sin. God is able. Stop being a downer on all these young parents. 
I just don't know how you do it. Man, encourage them. This is how we do it. The same God that helped Noah, the same God that helped Joseph, the same God that helped David, the same God that helped Ruth and Esther, the same God that helped John, the same God that helped Paul and Silas can help them raise their families. Moms and dads, don't live in fear. Be aware. You got some broken hearts in here? We do. Be faithful. I don't know when certain pain stops. But I know that you can't let that pain stop you. Just be faithful. Say, when do, I, when do I see the sunrise again in my own soul? I don't know when all that happens. I know, that, I know certain processes that you have to go through, and I know truth that I can give to you to help along the way, but I also know that there are things that just have to happen over time by the wonderful work of grace in your own heart. Just be faithful, even when it's hard. Do what you know you're supposed to do. And even when it doesn't seem like there's great benefit to it, there is. There is. Be faithful. Number two, second point. Number one is be faithful. Just do what you know you should do today. Number two, be full of faith. Trust that God is working even when we can't see it. And trust that God's work through challenging times will be effective. <sighs> I'm so excited. You just said you were concerned. Yeah, but I'm also excited. It, look, I, it's, been, it's been sad, and it, there, it was already, the statistic of churches closing was already way higher than it needed to be. And then with COVID and the different things that have come along and all the variants, and look, if, you're, if it's in your mind that, well, once we get through the Omicron variant, then there, there won't be any more. No, there's always going to be more variants. It's how this stuff works. And you can be sure that with certain people in power, they will make sure there's another variant to talk about. There will always be something else to be afraid of and then to oppress with or to alter with. I'm not saying don't take it seriously. I'm not saying don't take precautions. I am saying that the effort to manipulate is not going to stop. But you know what else isn't going to stop? God working in your life. And generations can know the great work of God through West Valley Baptist Church if we will be full of faith and trust, trust him. You know what you ought to be about 22? Excited. You know why? Because he is. And if he came onto the scene with Tiberius and Herod and Philip and Pontius, and Annas and Caiaphas and started saving and healing and changing and rescuing, then there's nothing stopping him from doing that today. The difficulty of delay and despicable does not prevent the divine work from taking place. The question is this, will we be faithful and will we be full of faith and hope of what our God can do. Let's all stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Maybe 
as Miss Becca begins to play, maybe you're a little discouraged. Maybe you're uncertain. Maybe you have a major obstacle in front of you and you are unsure of how that is going to turn out. Maybe you have great heartache. I wonder with every head bowed and every eye closed if there would be some that would raise their hand and say, Pastor, I am in the midst of delay or I am in the midst of, of despicable. I'm in the midst of these difficulties in one form or another and I need God to help me. I need him to help me to be faithful. I need him to help me to be full of faith, to be full of the optimism that he can work and guide me even through these uncertainties. I'm in the middle of it and I need God to help me with it. I need to, I need to pick up my level of faithfulness. I need to spend enough, enough time with him so that my attitude is being helped. I need to get my focus off of always being on the negative and I need to look at the positive. I need God's help in this. I'm in the middle of it, but I need God's help with it and I want God's help with it. Would you pray for me with every head bowed and every eye closed? I wonder if there would be some that would say, yeah, that's me. I need God's help with that. I see him all over the place. God bless you. You are, brothers and sisters, you are not alone. The God that worked in those days is the God that worked in these days. So while Brother Nate begins to sing, if God has spoken to your heart, you respond to him. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way while we do his good will. He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt nor a fear, not a sigh nor a tear can abide while we trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey, not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share. But our toil he doth quickly repay, not a grief nor a loss, not a frown nor a chorus, cross, if you know the chorus, sing but it out is with blessed Nate. if we trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no But to trust and obey.
lightly that there are difficulties in the lives of your children. And Father, I don't, I don't preach a message like this in any way to try to minimize the perspective on that difficulty. Lord, there, there are challenging times, and we honestly, it's still, I still have to kind of pinch myself just to realize there are certain things happening that we, we would have thought five or ten years ago in America would have been impossible. And yet these kinds of things have happened all over the world for centuries and generations, and they're beginning to happen here in small measure. And then I think about the individual lives of people and the battles of heartache and the battles of health and the battles of unexpected difficulties. And God, I, I know the delay and the despicable is real, but so is the work of the divine. And I pray that you would encourage your people as they as they enter 22, that their focus, while they navigate the difficulty, that they would keep their focus on the divine, that the delays and that the despicable cannot stop the work of the divine in our lives. And so God, help us to be people of faith. Help us to be people of hope and joy. Thank you for ordaining these messages for today. Help us to apply them to our lives. I pray for your blessing on your people. Thank you for our guests that are here. Please bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church family, I love you. appreciate you. Thank you for being here tonight. Uh, moms and dads of the babies that we had time with tonight, thanks for being here and being part of that. Encourage each one of them and try to find somebody tonight that you don't know and talk to them. Make sure to greet Miss Kelly and encourage her. Greet Brother Chris. And encourage them and be mindful of those families in the days ahead. God bless you. I love you. I look forward to being with you on Wednesday night, the Lord willing. All right, let's close with the chorus of.